Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt the Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoyed today's message. We are going to read from Sefer Shemot, the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 1, picking up a little bit of where, um, actually where uh, Jordan finished on verse 8, and then going forward to verse 14, and I want to also pick up some of the comments that I mentioned uh, as we were preparing the Torah scroll and reading it. Sefer Shemot, the book of Exodus, chapter 1, Perak Aleph, verses 8 through 14. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and it happen in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us and so go up out of the land. Verse 11 Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom and Ramesses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage, in mortar, in brick, and in all manner of service in the field. And their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. If you're like me, when I read this passage, and we'll come back to this in just a moment, when I read this passage, I think of the Passover Seder. How many think of the Seder when we go through the, you know, the charoset, uh, different things that we do, uh, the, the maror, the uh, horseradish, some of our favorite things <laughs> in life. But when I, when I think of this, but the story is deep, and there's so much to it, and I want to spend just a few more moments talking about the impact of the book of Shemot, the book of Exodus. It is, without a doubt, a very impacting book. If you read it, you really study it, you recognize, as with all of God's Word, from Genesis to Revelation, you realize that there's much to learn from this text. And I can tell you, and I think many of you would agree, especially those who have been believers a long time, that you're still, when you read a text like this, you still glean things from this text. You don't, seems like it has an unending bottom to it. You can continually learn from the text. And if you avail yourself of Hebrew classes, learn a little more of the Hebrew, that type of thing, even the Greek, as we have at times had here at Rosh Pina, Greek classes, uh, you realize there's so much to learn from this text. And Exodus is a significant book. And we're also confident because of various quotations in the Brit Hadashah and the New Covenant, we're confident 
that the shlichim, the apostles, that Yeshua himself read over this text. They knew this text. How do we know that? Well, they quote from it. They refer to it. And the story itself, the narrative about the children of Israel being kept in bondage in Egypt and the great deliverance that comes forward. And I hope you read through all of Exodus again. That great deliverance that comes forward has been memorialized in, for example, our Passover Seder. Blessed be the Lord's name because he's a great and a powerful deliverer. deliverer. But let's briefly recall, if we can here this morning, some spiritual principles and truth that came in the book of Genesis, say from Bereshit. Because the book of Exodus, if you've noticed in your text, is the second book of the Bible. And again, I believe we have the privilege here in a Messianic synagogue, we have the privilege to read through all the Torah portions, if we so choose, and to glean from each portion and to learn. Now, we've come in an incremental way, we've come to Sefer Shemot, the book of Exodus. But what are some of the things we learn from the book of Genesis? Because the Word of God seems to be foundational, it builds upon itself, principles we learn. For example, in the book of Genesis, if you recall... We learn about the wonders of the creation. And even more so, and I think even more importantly, we learn about the power of the eternal creator. As we're later told in the, in the uh, Keith Fay Kodesh, in the Holy Writings, the, the scripture, we're later told that God spoke the worlds into existence. We find also in Genesis some concepts that are critical to us even now to this day in 21st century American Oklahoma City. To us as believers, for example, we learn about covenant, Brit. We learn about covenant in the book of Genesis. We learn about the faithfulness of God to his covenant, which bodes well for you and me. If you're a believer here today in Yeshua the Messiah, you realize you're part of the Brit Chadashah, the new covenant, through faith. You're connected to the Brit Chadashah, the, 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 the words, the teachings, the truths of the new covenant. And God is faithful to keep his covenant. We also learn, though, on the contrary, we also learn about something else. And the setting is ironic. It's in the beautiful Garden of Eden that we learn about the enemy of God, the serpent, later described in Revelation chapter 12 with many different names. But we learn about him and we realize also that he's the enemy of the souls of mankind. So there we learn in Genesis about this big battle. And someone said, well, there's no thing, such thing as spiritual warfare. Well, I don't know what Bible you're reading because it's right there from the beginning. This great battle that's going on. And at times you probably felt that battle inside of you with the waging of your flesh, your flesh rising up there and how faithful God is to give us victory, especially as we believe and trust in Yeshua the Messiah. But we also learn in Genesis, and all this uh, ties into the book of Exodus, we learn in Genesis that some people are obedient to God, and I think you know what I'm going to say next, some people are not obedient to God. And in Genesis, we have glaring examples of the disobedient. And we also have some, some sterling examples of obedience. For example, if I just need to say the name Noah, Noah. 
and we think of a person that persevered to do the will of God, who was almost out of step with this whole society, but he still obeyed the word of God to build the the ark, the teva, to build it, uh, even when it just seemed uh, foolish to do that. But he still did it. And we learn from the book of Genesis, which carries through importantly into the book of uh, Sefer Shabbat, the book of Exodus, we learn that God can, and at times he does, bring judgment. Now, I know in our society nowadays, there's this thought of God, you know, God doesn't do that anymore. (laughs) Some of you may have family members that feel that way. That, you know, God is so loving that there, he's, he's not uh, the, the, the God of justice. He's, he, he's you know, it's all going to end up okay for everyone. But we learn in Genesis almost immediately that, that God is a God of judgment. He's a God of justice, and he can and he does bring judgment at times. But he also blesses his people. He also provides for his people. He also guides his people. We see all this played out in the book of Genesis. And the book of Exodus is a connector back to the book of Genesis. We see all that happening. And we see that God blesses in a special way those that are are yielded to do his will. And I pray that's each one of us today. That there's something inside of you triggered that you want to do the will of God. You're looking to him for empowerment to do it. And you're asking of him for his ruach to help you here in this very increasingly wicked society we live in. You're asking him to help you to do his will. We also learn, and this is almost a hidden point, but it's one that's brought forward in the Brit Chadashah and the New Covenant writings. We learn that there's an eternal aspect to God's plan and his salvation, eternal aspect. Let me remind you of several verses here that, that pointed out. These are from the Brit Chadashah, from the New Testament, the New Covenant. In First Peter chapter 1, verse 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. Verse 19 of First Peter chapter 1. But you are redeemed with the precious blood of Mashiach, Messiah Yeshua, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And verse 20 then points to something that shows us that at the very beginning, God has had this plan. Verse 20, he indeed was foreordained when? Before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you from the foundation of the world. Now, I can't wrap my mind around that, can you? But God is so wise, and we learn in the book of Genesis that he offered provision that, that his plan is blameless, it's eternal, and, and he, he wants each of us to connect, to trust, and to receive Yeshua, who's at the very core, the center of the plan of God for your life. There's also this other passage, though. Also from the Brit Chadashah for the New Covenant, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 says, Who has saved us and called us with what? A holy calling. Not according to our works, 
but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Messiah Yeshua. And then there's this statement, before time began. So what the enemy attempted to do back at Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden, with the enemy, God was way ahead here. <laughs> How many of you are glad for the salvation plan that Messiah is at the center of, that God has put together for us, that we can be redeemed, we can overcome in our lives, that we are able to be more than conquerors through him who loved us? I'm thankful for that this day. Well... In fact, there is much to learn from the book of Genesis, and we're going to get to Exodus here in a few moments. But a big message from the book of Genesis is the necessity for human beings, each of us as individuals, and that includes you and me here today, the necessity for each individual person to trust the Lord. Now, we are different ways to say that. Some use the term Faith, trust, uh, complete Jewish Bible says trust there. But it points us to uh, initially a verse that's repeated in Galatians and Romans and Sefer Bereshit, the book of Genesis, chapter 15, verse 6, declares this. It says, and he and Avram, Avram did what? He'emin badonai, he believed in the Lord. And the Lord accounted it to him as tzedakah, righteousness. Right standing. Right standing here is connected to trust and faith. And we read this famous verse in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Many, many books later, as we get into the Brit Hadashah, the New Covenant, as we segue from Genesis all the way up to the book of Messianic Jews, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, a very powerful verse. It says, without trust, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. These concepts like that, seeking the Lord, diligence, we're going to see that as we read through the book of Exodus, we're going to see that displayed particularly in Moses' life, but also in others in the uh, book of Exodus and forward into the, the uh, Humash, all the Humash, all the books of the Torah. And as unique a writing as the book of Genesis is, which I'm recapping for a reason, the book of Exodus <laughs> also offers us today much understanding about God and his ways. All that we read in Genesis and in the next step, the historically, chronologically, is that children of Israel are in a very bad spot. But it's in the book of Exodus that we're introduced to some of the very uh, concepts and ideas and truths that still permeate our thinking now, so many centuries later, millennia later. For example, it's in the book of Exodus that we, we read about journeying. <laughs> you know, and also many other people, many important people and places and principles and truths, all this is wrapped into the book of Exodus. We're told, as Jordan read from um, Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, that a new Melech Hadash, a new king arose that didn't know Joseph. We're, we're told that in the beginning of Exodus, as we've pointed out before. But then afterwards, as we read further in Exodus, we encounter some incredible things. 
You talk about exciting events. To me, uh, Genesis is very exciting, but it doesn't slack off in Exodus. It gets extremely exciting in, in the book of Exodus because we are introduced to Moshe, to Moses, but then Moses is introduced to a flaming bush, a burning bush. <laughs> Not only a burning bush, but a voice coming from the burning bush. Now wrap your mind around that. And he's told, this is holy ground, remove your sandalim. Get rid of your shoes, holy ground. And we learn in the book of Exodus just some new levels of national deliverance. You know, it is important for us to pray for our nation. We shouldn't slack on that. We should be praying for our nation because the book of Exodus teaches us where once it was individuals, Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, now it's B'nai Yaakov, the sons of Jacob, B'nai Israel, the sons of Israel, who become a people. Am Israel. We'll talk more about this in Shabbaton. And we see God's deliverance of a whole people, an Am, a nation, from a place like Egypt. And then there are the ten plagues. <laughs> I know sometimes I've asked folks, so what's the scariest of the plagues? The ten, and they're all scary. How many agree? There's something to all ten of those plagues. And my personal one is the ninth one, choshech, darkness. And it's not darkness like you find in your room, you know, when the light's not on. This is thick darkness. Uh, we would use the colloquialism that you could cut with a knife. <laughs> so dark that you can't move because you don't know what's going to happen to you or what you're going to bang into. But we're introduced to these ten plagues, which we still memorialize each Passover Seder, the ten plagues. And, and you know, how about the parting of the Yam Tzuf, the Sea of Reeds, the Red Sea? And Israel passing the whole nation. And by the way, they weren't all young and vigorous. There were old people and young people and babies. And some of you have children, and you have to try to corral your children to do things. Well, God got the whole nation through the Sea of Reeds, the Red Sea, on dry ground, all the people you talk about, herding cats, <laughs> herding cats and Cohen's, that's what was happening there. <laughs> and then we're also, and this is critical for us, and I'm thankful for a Messianic synagogue like Rosh Pina, we also learn about the unique role of the Jewish people in relationship to all the nations, that unique role. And then there's the Aserta Dibrot, the Ten Commandments. All these are in the book of Exodus. Then there's the manna, all in the book of Exodus. There's the establishment of a holy priesthood in the book of Exodus. We see the roots of it. And then there's the Mishkan, the tabernacle in the book of Exodus. We read how it was built and we read what happened in fact. We come to Exodus chapter 40, the very end of Sefer Shemot, the book of Exodus, and we read these words beginning with verse 34. After the tabernacle had been built, they obediently built it. Isn't it better to obey? They obediently built it, and when we obey, God intervenes. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and Kavod Adonai, the glory of the Lord, filled the tabernacle. Verse 35 of Shemot, Exodus chapter 40. 
Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And then there's the word I mentioned before, journeys, travels. And all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above their tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it was lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and the moot ash, the pillar of fire, was in the cloud by night, and it was in the sight of all the Israelites during all their journeys. I find it fascinating, and if you listen carefully when Jordan read from the uh, scroll today, I find it fascinating that the first word of the book of Exodus, the first Hebrew word is ve'ele. Ve'ele, ve'ele shemot, these are the names. Ve'ele. And it's fascinating to me that the last word of the book of Exodus in the Hebrew language is masehem. And when you put those two together, ve'ele masehem, these are their journeys. And the book of Exodus points us to the journeys of Israel out of Egypt, going forward into the Eretz Havachalav Davash, the land flowing with milk and honey. The Israelites' journey through the wilderness was an unusual road. If you plotted it out on a map, it was an unusual road. And you can find maybe even the back of your Bibles, if you still use a book Bible, you can find a map maybe that tries to plot it out. But when you look at another Bible from some other scholars, it's a different route. And you look at some other scholars, and it's a different route. But, you know, they were under the tutelage of the Lord, and the Lord guided them well. Friends, if you will be under his tutelage and you will allow him to direct your life, he will guide you well. He will guide you knowing you from the inside out, knowing your heart, knowing how you, how you think, knowing all about you. Even every hair on our head is counted. And a sparrow doesn't fall from the sky without him knowing about it. So the Israelites, as we read in the book of Exodus, they begin their journey. It will continue all, to, all the way to Sefer Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy. Their journey will be recounted. At one point in the Torah, all the stops will be listed. All the stops. And there's some discussion as to how many there were. Do you start, the beginning, do you start with the beginning stop and, and, and conclude with the end, etc.? The counting can be different. But all the stops... All the places they stopped will be listed in the Torah. Now, as the children of Israel went through the wilderness on God's road, <laughs> he says he didn't take them, and the book of Exodus tells us God didn't take them the shortest route. He didn't take them the shortest route. He explains why. I mean, first of all, they weren't really prepared for it. Some of us know what that's like in life. You want to be well prepared by the Lord. You want to make sure that what you connect with in your life, that you're well prepared by the Lord, that you're really following him. But the road that the Israelites traveled in the Midbar, in the wilderness, in the desert, wasn't the only road in the ancient world. There were some other roads. Maybe you've heard of some of them. For example, there was centuries later... And approximately 1,400 miles to the north and the west of Egypt, there was a road that's called the Appian Way. How many have heard of the Appian Way in Italy? The 
Appian Way. It's the first and the most famous of all the Roman roads. It started from basically from Rome and went all the way down to, if you're familiar with the map of Italy today, all the way down to the boot section of Italy, encompassing hundreds of miles. And the Romans went down that road, and they did commerce down the road, but the road that the children of Israel that we read about in Sefer Shemot, the book of Exodus, was an unusual road that had many different types of stops. And the main goal of that road wasn't like the Appian Way goal, which was commerce. The main goal of the road there that God led the children of Israel on was that they would come to know their God. And believe me, that's one of the main issues facing us in the road of life we have. Are we coming to know the Lord in reality, in truth, in spirit? Are we coming to know him? So the Appian Way, centuries later, 1,400 miles approximately away from the road, the route the children of Israel traveled on in the wilderness, but it wasn't also, that wasn't the only road. There's another one called, it's in the Middle East, it's called the Via Maris. How many have heard of that, the Via Maris, the way of the sea there? In Hebrew, it's called Derech Yam. It's mentioned in Isaiah chapter 9, I believe. But there was this route also that came along the coastal area, the Shvelah of Israel, and there was appendage roads off from it. You know one of these roads, the Damascus Road. It was an offshoot road from the way of the sea there, greatly traversed at the time of the first century and before and after, and even to some degree now, except modern borders and politics doesn't allow from crossing one nation to the other. But there it was, Derechiam, one appendage of that, one section of that was the Damascus Road of uh, Rav Shaul favor, uh, fame there. But that last statement of the book of Exodus it may be about journeys. If you remember the last word, Masahem, their journeys, their travels, that last word. And that's why I find Exodus fascinating. Because if I look ahead to the last chapter and see that last word about journeying and travels, and I read the first chapter of Exodus, I find Israel not traveling at all. I found, find them mired in the pit. Going nowhere fast, mired in the pit. And it's a testimony to the greatness of God that he's able to extract a whole nation out of the miry, muddy pits of Egypt and bring them forward eventually under Yehoshua, Joshua, to bring them into the land of promise, Canaan. Testimony to our Lord. But the beginning of the journey... For the children of Israel, you wouldn't think if you didn't know the story and you read about them in chapter 1 and 2, groaning and crying out from the pits of Egypt, you would never anticipate, if you don't know the story, you wouldn't know that they're going to see such glory, glory that they can't even imagine. The revelation on Har Sinai, Mount Sinai. Chapter 40 of Exodus, the Kavod Adonai, the glory of the Lord coming on the Mishkan, the tabernacle. And all this stuff in between, they're going to see God revealing himself. So the book of Exodus begins with the children of Israel mired in the mud pits of Egypt, going nowhere fast. 
But there's God. But there's the mercy of God. But there's the God who created the ear who hears their cries. There's a God who created the eye who sees them and intervenes for them. And friends, he'll intervene for you if you will call upon him. Whatever you're facing in life, if you call upon him, he knows you. He knows you well. The question is, will we get to know him well that we might grow in the knowledge of him? There's so much symbolism in Exodus, so much important symbolism there, particularly the book of Exodus seems to try to teach us, as we have already encountered in the book of Genesis, that we must walk by faith and not by sight. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 says, We then as workers together with him, we also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says... And boy, this could be applied right back to the children of Israel with their moanings and their groanings and their cries out to God in heaven. He says, in an acceptable time, I what? I have hurt you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. And Rav Shaul states, behold, and it's still true to this day, the year 2023, January 14th. It's still true to this day. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And Rav Shaul Paul, Rabbi Saul of Tarsus, the Apostle Paul, I think you would agree with me, if you're familiar with his life, that he was well-versed in Kitve Kodesh, in the Holy Writings, the Holy Scriptures. And he, in his writing to the Romans, he also talks about a road. No, he doesn't use the term road, but people have spliced it together and they see a road. You know it, the Roman road. How many have heard of that road, the Roman road? I hope you have. I want to share with you, by way of reminder, most of this, that like Israel in the mud pits of Egypt... It's important that humanity, and let's not just get lost in that big word, humanity, but let's get it down to you and to me. It's important for us that we recognize our own situation. For example, I believe God desires to lead us on his journey, just like he wanted the children of Israel to follow his journey. He wants us to follow him, to obey him, to, to take his way in life. It's no secret, especially around Rosh Pina, how often we repeat John 14, 6. You know it by heart. I'm the way, the truth, the life. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Here's Rav Shaul, this great apostle, a student of Gamaliel, Gamaliel. He points out to the Romans in chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And there's some discussion what's the most important word there in that, that particular verse. And many circle that three-letter word, all, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And thankfully, the book of Romans doesn't end at Romans chapter 3, verse 23. But that Roman road that continues in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, lays out yet this other truth, for the wages of sin is death. 
And I'm thankful that verse doesn't end there. But it says, for the wage of sin is death, and then it continues, but the gift, the free gift of God is eternal life in Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. Romans 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us. Are you glad that the Lord loves you today? How many are thankful the Lord loves you today? Now, I know that he may not always love what we're doing, so we need to make sure we change that equation. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Messiah died for us. Provision was made for us at the tree, the slav, the cross, the execution stake, 2,000 years ago. And we know that that very plan goes all the way back. We encounter it hidden in the book of Genesis. From the foundation of the world, the lamb was slain, as the book of Revelation points out. But God demonstrates his own love towards us. And let me change that to you and to me. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still yet sinners, Messiah died for us. And Romans 10 verse 9 couldn't be more direct on this Romans road. It says, if you confess with your mouth, what? It's really a who. If you confess with your mouth, the Lord, Yeshua. Yeshua the Lord. Is he your Lord today? Uh, I don't mean just a title that you kind of like about him, but I mean the reality, is he really Lord of your life? If you confess with your mouth the Lord Yeshua, and then it, it's got to be more than just that. It has to be down in here in the lev, and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Ah, there's some f beautiful four words after that. You will be saved. That work of salvation in our lives, friends, is by God's grace. We have a gracious God, a merciful God. Yeah, we see this in Genesis. We see this in Exodus. And we see it demonstrated in what Messiah did for us. God demonstrated his love for us by sending his son, Yeshua HaMashiach, who paid the ransom for us, the price for our sin. And the wages of sin is what? Death. Vicarious atonement is the big theological term he died in our place. The just one for us, the unjust. And therefore, as Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, therefore, having been justified by trust, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. And I can tell you my own testimony that when I came to know the Lord, that was the major thing that I sensed, peace peace in a time of national turmoil and I won't say how old I am but a time of national turmoil and some of you are, understand what I'm talking about you live through it too of assassinations and discriminations and wars and rumors of wars and all kinds of stuff going on in the society I came to know Yeshua rather he mercifully reached down and grabbed me and I pray that you have such a historical point in your life where you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's your Lord 
And as we start this new year, and this is my first opportunity to talk to us on Shabbat. That's why I'm speaking this particular message. But as we have an opportunity, as many days as the Lord gives us in this year, 2023, may they be days where we can honestly say we have lived as if Yeshua is our Lord and that he may come back again because he can come at any time. And I know I've heard it said, no, he can't come back now. This has to happen and that has to happen. (laughs) Really? The last thing that I noticed in reading Scripture was that he is God. (laughs) It's why he desires what he says (laughs) that matters. So let's, let's press in this year, 2023. And I want to leave you here today with some thoughts. Wherever you are today in your walk of faith, your walk of trust in the Lord, there are many things that I could share with you, but I just want to mention three simple matters. Three matters that I would encourage you to consider as you press in each day. And I pray that we will, as a congregation, press in to the high calling we have. There's so much he wants to do with us and use us in so many ways if we'll be willing to rally around, participate, contribute, and get involved. There's so much we can accomplish with his help. But here's three matters that I want to leave with you to consider. There are many things I could leave you with, but I just want to leave you with three simple matters. Number one, you will always need the Lord's help no matter how well you think you're doing. How many agree with that? Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. But you will always need the Lord's help. We will always need the Lord's help, no matter how well we think we're doing, how fantastic a walk we have in the Lord, or how great we're doing in life. We're never beyond needing the Lord. And I found in watching over the decades, people falling away when they realize, and at least they they deceptively realize, I don't need God anymore. (laughs) I'm on my feet now, and I'm going to walk in my walk. Number one, you always need the Lord's help no matter how well or unwell you are doing in life. Number two, this is an important one. Even as we acknowledge and we come to a place where we recognize that we need the Lord's help, number two, he is able to help you. He's able to help you since nothing, including the mud pits of Egypt, as we read in the beginning chapters of Sefer Shemot, the book of Exodus, including the mud pits of Egypt and maybe the mud pits of your Egypt. He's able to help you because his power is great and his love is sure. So number two, he's able to help you. We need his help. He's able to help you. And number three, it's very, really the cornerstone of the scriptural teaching. Number three, his grace is sufficient for you. His grace is sufficient. You're not beyond the grace of God. No matter what you're struggling with, you're not beyond the grace of God. Recognize your need. Call upon him. And his grace is sufficient for you. In fact, (laughs) God offers you an opportunity, an opportunity to walk daily by his spirit in newness of life. 
No matter what may lie behind you, and most of us have made some bad decisions in our life. I won't ask for a show of hands. And no matter what may be lying ahead, as many days as the Lord gives us, friends, his grace is sufficient for you. Grab hold of it. Walk with your Messiah in 2023. Let's pray. We praise you this day, O Lord, because you are truly the King of kings. And your plan is perfect and your ways are blameless. Thank you for the testimony in Sefer Bereshit. Thank you for the testimony in Sefer Shemot. Thank you for the testimony in all the scriptures that you've given to us. The testimony that points us to trust in you. That points us to believe in you. That points us to make sure we walk with you each passing day. And thank you especially, Lord, that your grace is sufficient for us. May your name be praised. May you reveal yourself in our lives and through our lives to others. And Lord, may we be found about your business upon the great day of your return. Ask these things according to your merit, O Yeshua. Amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 10.40 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.